Hey, we're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke today. So if you have your Bibles or you have the YouVersion Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we're going to start right at the beginning. And just as a quick reminder, we believe that this is God's Word, that this is authoritative over our lives, that it is perfect. And so what it says goes in our lives. And I'm going to be honest, sometimes that's not always easy. Sometimes we may read something that we're just like, man, that's really difficult. Or man, I, that just doesn't settle with me. Something's uh, hard about that. Something's difficult to implement. But we believe that this is God's word. And so it needs to reign supreme over our lives, even if that gets into some difficult territory. So Luke chapter 13, that's what we're going to dive into today. And just a quick reminder about where we are on our sermon series we are over halfway through the Gospel of Luke, and at this point, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where he will find that he is welcomed there with praise on Sunday, but by Friday, he will die on a cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got limited time in his earthly ministry here, and so he's using every opportunity that he has with people to point people into having a relationship with himself. And we're going to see that right here in Luke chapter 13. This is what it says. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, You think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. We're going to talk about what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, as always, let's go before God in prayer. Let's ask him for his help with that. Pray with me. Jesus, we, again, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the access that we have for it. And God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us. If that means that we need to change something about how we live our lives, God, I pray that you give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage to do that. God, if, the, if you're, that means you're calling us to something, God, again, I pray that you would help us to fulfill that calling well. Help us to glorify you in everything, starting right here and right now. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, um, there is a question that I get as a pastor that is not always uh, easy to answer in a situation. You see, most of the time when people are asking this question, uh, there's something very difficult happening in their lives. Maybe uh, they just had a loved one get a terminal illness. Maybe they're having relational issues with their spouse or marriage is hanging on by a thread and they don't know what's going to happen moving forward. Maybe there are financial issues happening and they don't know how they're going to make it. There is a question that I receive, I would say somewhat frequently, and you probably do as well as a Christian. It's a question that is uh, not necessarily easy to answer because it's a long answer that it needs to have a full answer. And that question is this. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
And there's an ugly step-sibling to that question as well, which is it's slightly uglier to ask this, but it's similar, which is why do good things happen to bad people? And that's kind of an ugly way of thinking about it, right? Because it's almost envious. Why does that person have that happening? They don't deserve it. But it's all in all the same question. Why are these things happening to a person that may or may not deserve it? This is a tough question to grapple with, but it's a question that Jesus actually answers right here in Luke chapter 13. And to understand what's happening here, we're going to have to take a look at the context. It's a weird situation. And this is what I really like about uh, going all the way through a book of the Bible, is that normally you get to some of these passages and you're like, that's just strange. We don't know a whole lot about it. What's going on here? But when you go through a book of the Bible, you are forced to look at this and go, God, what do you want for me out of this passage? How do you want this to affect my life? You see, there are some people who went up to Jesus and told him about a tragedy. It says this in in verse 1. It says, at that very time, uh, there were some people who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, this is kind of an awkwardly uh, phrased question, if you ask me. It's not really a question. It's people who are going up to Jesus and telling him about a tragedy. This is a heinous crime that has happened. And we don't have any information outside of Luke chapter 13 about what happened, but here's what we can piece together. There were some Galileans. This is, these, uh, that means they were Jews. They lived in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee that were going to do some sacrifices. Now, there's only one sacrifice that everyone in Israel was required to do every single year, and that is the sacrifice of the Passover. They were to sacrifice a perfect, blemishless lamb. So they were taking this lamb, presumably, down to Jerusalem to sacrifice it. And as they were giving their sacrifice, this guy Pilate, which you may uh, recognize, that was who sentenced Jesus to the cross. The crowd chants that they want Jesus to go to the cross to die. Eventually sentenced him. That's this guy right here. And it says that Pilate mingled with uh, their blood with their sacrifices. Now, so let's get the picture of what's happening here. As they are giving the sacrifice, Pilate has some Jews murdered. And their blood mixes with this perfect, blemishless, spotless lamb's blood that was supposed to be the sacrifice to take away the guilt from their sins. It doesn't take away everything. Only Jesus does that. That's why we call him the Lamb of God, that he is the perfect, blemishless sacrifice for our sins. This only takes away the guilt of their sins. But as they are doing that, Pilate has these Jews murdered. This is a heinous crime in the eyes of Israelites. I mean, this would be extremely tragic if this were to happen. This would be like walking around on September 11, 2001 in the afternoon and people saying, hey, did you hear about what happened in New York? That was awful. This is awful. It's the talk of the town. People are talking about this, which is why they go up to Jesus and they say, hey, listen, did you hear about this heinous crime? Can you believe Pilate? Can you believe that he did this? And outside of this, we do have a little bit of information about Pilate's character. In fact, there's a story that is historical, uh, that are, there's records of it that would say that uh, Pilate was having a huge rally. There were some Jews who were going to come that were going to protest in that rally. They didn't like the Romans. They didn't like their control over their country. And Pilate had undercover soldiers come and stab those Jews in the back so that they could not protest. So we know that Pilate, he doesn't have a great character. 
And so more than likely, people would have, the Jews would have hated Pilate, which is interesting that they turn and chant for Pilate to sentence Jesus to death later on. But that's just a quick side note. But uh, Pilate was not a good guy, and this is the talk of the town. And they go up to Jesus and they go, man, did you hear about this? This heinous crime, this tragedy, this is awful. And as a reader, I think that we would all expect for Jesus to respond something like this. Yeah, man, that's, oh, I cannot believe that. How dare Pilate? How dare he do that? Those Romans don't belong here. Can you believe that? You know what, you know what the Israelites need to do? They need to, they need to get their army out and they need to start fighting back. Okay, because this is ridiculous. This is getting crazy. This is ridiculous. I can't believe this is happening. Jesus does not do that, though. In fact, take a look at Jesus' response. It's, it's almost like off the wall. He says, he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I don't know about you, but if I were the, like one of the Jews that went up to Jesus and said, man, did you hear about this tragedy that happened, this heinous crime that Pilate committed? This is crazy. And Jesus said, yeah, you think they were worse sinners because that happened to them? I don't know about you, but I think I'd be taken back and be like, what? Like, what, what is going on here? Jesus, why are you responding this way? He's using this as an opportunity to point people towards himself. Remember, he's got limited time here. He wants every opportunity that he can have with people to point people in the direction of having a relationship with himself. He doesn't take the easy way out. The easy way would have just been to say, oh man, yeah, that's awful. Man, oh, that's just horrible. The Romans, they, they just stink. You know, why don't we just pray about this? You know, we'll just pray about it and, and, and you know, we'll just put it in God's hands and good enough. And that would have been an okay response, right? That wouldn't have been wrong. That would have been a good response. But Jesus uses this as a gospel opportunity to point people into having a relationship with himself. He asks this rhetorical question. This was a common mindset that Jews would have had in this day to say, uh, if something bad happened to you, it's because of your sin. This is just like a very common mindset. And then also the uh, flip side of that as well is if something good happened to you, it's because of your own righteousness. It's because you're such a holy person. You're doing all the good things in life that you should be doing. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's why all these good things are happening. Jesus is pushing back against this mindset here. And he says this, he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then here in verse four, he gives us another example of another tragedy. This would be, again, the talk of the town if this were to happen. Verse four, he says, or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Again, we don't have any other records of why this happened or what happened or when it happened exactly, but it's pretty easy to piece together that there was some building in Jerusalem who fell and killed 18 Jews. Now, this would have been, again, a huge tragedy, just like it would be today. If a building in downtown South Bend fell down and killed 18 pedestrians, that would be all over the news, right? That would make national news. And we don't know why this fell down. Uh, maybe it was because of a natural disaster. Maybe the wind blew too hard. Maybe the soil shifted underneath it. Maybe it was shoddy workmanship. We just have no idea. More than likely, though, it was probably an accident. It's difficult to purposely uh, shove over a building and kill 18 people, right? That's difficult to do. It was probably more than likely an accident. But here's what I want to point out to you. Jesus brings up a tragedy that obviously was not an accident here. 
uh, with the uh, issue of Pilate murdering the Jews, giving their sacrifice. Then he brings up an issue of a complete uh, evil thing, but it was a complete, uh, more than likely, accident, right? There's this accident, this building fell, it killed 18 people. So you have a purposeful killing, you have an accidental killing. He says both ways, either way, verse 5, no, they were not worse sinners, that's not why the building fell on them. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is Jesus doing? He's pushing back against this mindset, this mindset that says, all the good things in life that happen to you are because of your own righteousness and all the bad things that happen in life are because of your sins. We have to realize this. If we're going to answer the question of why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people, we have got to realize a few things. The first thing I think we need to realize from this passage of Scripture is what Jesus is trying to teach here, which is that our life circumstances are not equal to our standing with God. In other words, if your life is awesome right now, if you have everything that you've ever wanted, if you have all the money, all the time, all the resources, all the stuff that you've ever wanted, it is not because of your righteousness. Vice versa is true as well. If you are in the midst of financial problems, if you are in the midst of marriage problems or relational problems with your children, whatever it is, if your life just looks like a country song and it's awful right now, it is not because of your sins. Now, I want to give a quick caveat because there are consequences to the things that we do, right? And we all know this. What happens if you smoke your entire life? Your lungs look like the inside of a parking lot, right? What happens if you drink? Your liver will take a vacation and never come back on you. The vice versa is true of this as well. What happens if a man and a woman who are married say, you know what, we're going to honor God with our marriage. We're going to prioritize each other. We're going to apologize when we're wrong. And we are going to work on our marriage day in and day out. What's going to happen? Well, chances are you're going to have a good marriage, right? There are consequences to things, but we have to get away from this mentality that the Israelites suffered with so many years ago. And sometimes we do now today as well, which is that our life circumstances are equal to our standing with God. Just because our life is great does not mean that you have a great relationship with the Lord. And just because your life is awful and is just all sorts of crazy right now does not mean that your relationship with the Lord is necessarily horrible, right? Jesus is trying to push back against this. In fact, he does this in John chapter 9 as well. If you remember, uh, we went through the Gospel of John just a couple of years ago, and this is a really interesting passage here in chapter 9. He pushes back against this as well. It says that he, that's Jesus, passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So do you catch what the disciples' mindset is here? They're passing by this blind guy who's been blind from birth. And they ask him, hey, did he sin to become blind or did his parents sin? Obviously, somebody sinned because otherwise he wouldn't be blind, right? I mean, that's just... Sin equals blindness, right? That's what they're saying here. Blindness is caused by sin. Jesus, he pushes back against this in verse 3, and he answers them by saying this, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus here, he's pushing back against this, and he's saying, Hey, listen, it's not the result of sin. It's so that I could be glorified in his life. We have to get away from this mentality that says our life circumstances are equal to our standing with God. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. If we go down this pathway that says uh, our circumstances are uh, are standing with God, our life is a mess, we're not in a good place with God, our life is awesome, we are in a good place with God, this is what could happen. If our life is just awesome the entire time, guess what? We never seek the Lord. And vice versa too, our life is a mess and we try to seek God and then it doesn't work, what happens? We go, man, this is ridiculous. I can't do this. This is just not working. Or we sin and we mess up as is inevitable in all of our lives. And what happens? The enemy sneaks in and he goes, see, you can never be good enough. Your life is going to be a mess. You can never be good enough to have a good relationship with the Lord. You might as well just completely give up and not worry about this whole thing. You are just not good enough. We cannot go down that road. We have to have a better mentality. Jesus is trying to teach us the mentality that we should have, and he does so here in verses 3 and 5. Take a look here. He responds to both the purposeful tragedy and the accidental tragedy here, and look what he says. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says the same thing after the accidental tragedy. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what is Jesus trying to get across to us here? What is he doing here? Well, he's trying to get away from this mentality that circumstances are tied to our relationship with God or consequences are tied. We all know that that's not true, right? We all know people who have smoked and drank their whole life and are still alive and shouldn't be. We also know people who have worked really hard on their marriage and it just is a struggle for them for the rest of their lives, right? We know that consequences are not a 100% connotation here. We know that circumstances are not, but there is one thing that is 100% accurate, is 100% connotation. Jesus says it right here. If you do not repent, you will perish. The flip side of it is also true. If you do repent, If you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Here's what Jesus is trying to get across to us, is that we are not saved by what we do. We are not saved by how righteous we are and how uh, less sin we do, right? Jesus is trying to get across. It's not about that. It's about your relationship with me. He's trying to get across that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by having faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone as our personal Lord and Savior. And obviously, if we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then our life is transformed. And obviously, we don't want to keep on sinning if Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We get that, but it's not uh, totally dependent on our behavior and on our sins or sinlessness. It is dependent on what Christ has already done on the cross. And it is dependent on what our response to his death on the cross is, which is, will we accept him as our Lord and Savior, or will we push him away and deny him as our Lord and Savior? Ephesians 2 puts it like this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Titus 3.5 puts it very similarly. 
that says that He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is what saves us. It's God and God alone. It's Jesus' death on the cross. And whether we accept that or deny that, that's what saves us, not our behavior. And we have to realize that. Now, what Jesus has said so far has been uh, pretty harsh with the people. In fact, it kind of came off of like left field, right? I mean, he just said, like, he came, people came with him, this tragedy. Can you believe this happened? He goes, Yeah, you think there were sinners? No. And this has been pretty harsh, what Jesus has said so far. And so he wants to communicate God is not just awful of harshness, He's not awful of, you need to repent or you're going to die. Right? Obviously, we know that is true. But Jesus explains it more fully in this parable here. He talks about this guy who owns this vineyard. Let me read it for you. It says, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone. This year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Now, this is interesting. Normally, parables, we can line up people for people, right? So we could say, okay, this person represents the Lord. This person represents us. This person represents some other people. This is an interesting parable. In fact, it's uh, one of the few parables where we get the inner workings of the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. There's only two characters. There is the man who planted the tree in the vineyard, and then there's the vine dresser. So you have what is probably the owner of the uh, vineyard coming, checking on this tree. It's not bearing fruit. It's been three years, and he's angry. He's saying, this is taking up space. This could be planted here, a tree that would produce fruit. And so he goes to the vine dresser, the worker in here, and he goes, hey, listen, yeah, cut this one out. We'll plant a new one here. It's taking up ground space. That's good. This is a vineyard. This is good dirt. This is what we irrigate, right? This is the, we uh, take care of this place. We want this place to be fruitful, to be profitable. This is just not working here with this tree. We need to get rid of it, plant a new one. And then we have the vine dresser say, hold on, just, just, just wait a minute. Give it one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll put manure. I'll give it everything that it needs. We'll give it fertilizer. We'll give it water. We'll give it everything that it needs. And then we'll give it a shot here. If it, if it goes on another year after it has everything that it needs, then, then, then we'll cut it down. It's the inner workings of God's thoughts here. He's looking at us and he's saying, listen, I want for you to produce fruit. And what is that? Well, Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what our life should be made out of. You see, we are not either the owner of the vineyard or the vine dresser. We're the tree. And God looks at us and He goes, I want you to produce fruit. After you accept me as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't want you to just show up to church every Sunday and leave unaffected. I want you to produce fruit in your life. I want your life to look like you are loving and joyful and patient and kind and having self-control in your life. This is what it looks like to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's the inner working of God. He's saying, all right, I'm going to give you one more shot here. I am merciful here. I want to just totally take you out, but I'm going to give you another shot. 
And in fact, I'm so merciful and I'm so kind and I'm so gracious that I'm going to give you the things that you don't even deserve. I'm going to dig around. I'm going to put manure here. I'm going to help you out the best way that I possibly can. And I hope that you bear fruit. But here's the deal about this parable. You ready for it? Look at it. It is that God is merciful, but also that he is just. Do you catch that in verse 9? If then it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. God is merciful. He is gracious. He is kind. But he is still just. If our lives go on without fruit, what does this parable say about our lives? Not good, right? It's not good for us if we go on fruitless. But this kindness, this mercy that God has for us is meant to lead us into a deeper relationship with Him. Romans 2.4 puts it like this, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Grace read this earlier for us. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. It has this idea of God's mercy and His justice being one and the same. It says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. We have got to realize God is gracious. He is merciful in our lives. He is kind to each and every one of us. But he is also just, which means we can't live our lives in a fruitless manner. We have to accept him as our personal Lord and Savior and not have this superstitious mindset to say, well, you know what? I'm going to go to church and then I'm going to say these prayers verbatim over and over and over. And then God has to bless me, right? And then I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. And then God will have to bless me and my life will have to be perfect. That's not going to work out for you. That's not how God designed our faith to be. He said, I want a relationship with you. Come into a relationship with me. Allow me to transform your life to look less like you, more like me. And I want to transform you and then you can bear fruit. This is what it looks like. But so many times we can have a really unhealthy mentality, almost a superstitious mentality about life where we have to do all the perfect things for God to bless us. And if we do, our lives are going to be perfect and there's going to be rainbows and butterflies everywhere. And it's just going to be awesome and perfect and dandy. How many times has that happened in your life? I don't know about you, but my life has never looked perfect, right? We all live in a fallen, sinful world. There are going to be purposeful accidents that happen and there will be accidents. I'm sorry, there will be purposeful tragedies that happen and there will be accidental tragedies that happen in life. Just like these two examples that Jesus gives. We live in a fallen, sinful world. And fortunately, bad things happen. But it doesn't change our response to God. Our response stays the same. We repent of our sins. We accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. He transforms us and then we bear fruit. That's what the Christian life looks like. It looks like Him transforming us from the inside out. And we have to keep in mind that our uh, faith with Jesus is not about these uh, superstitious, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that things. It is a relationship that God is kind, He is gracious, and He is merciful to all of us. And yet, He is still just. And that leads us into a deeper relationship with Him. 
Think about if he was just gracious and merciful. And he just said, you know what? I'm just going to be a God of gracious and, 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 and mercy. And I want you to do certain things, but there's going to be zero consequences to the things that you do if they are bad. That's not a good God, is it? It's like a judge who says, I know you committed a crime, but you know what? No consequences. Just go back out there and uh, have a bunch of fun. Right? That's, that doesn't work out. But we serve a good God that is gracious and he's merciful and he is just. And so when we think of this God that we serve, it leads us into a deeper relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, I feel like God has been very kind and merciful to me. And I kind of feel like that fig tree that he's come back to time and time and time again, where I haven't bore any fruit. I haven't done anything. I haven't allowed him to transform me. And maybe today is the day where you feel like God's saying, all right, let's dig down. Let's put some manure down. Let's fertilize it. Let's double down here because now is the time to bear fruit. Let's go. Let's do this. Maybe you feel like you're saying, man, I, I had this really unhealthy mentality. I had this kind of superstitious mentality about who Jesus was, about what God wanted me to do, about how I get blessed or how my life looks better. If that's the case, hey, listen, you're in good company. Many people in the Bible also had that. And Jesus comes to you in his graciousness and his mercy. And he says, hey, I want you to have a relationship with me. I love you. I am a gracious God and I am a kind God. I am a just God. Come and have a relationship with me. Allow me to transform who you are from the inside out. Today's the day. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we give our lives to you today. Wherever we find ourselves in life, whether we're like the fig tree who has not borne any fruit, or whether we find ourselves kind of in these superstitious mentalities about who you are and how we interact with you and how we are blessed or what our life looks like. God, I pray that we would get away from that as you teach here in this passage and that we would just simply go to you in a relationship with you, accept what you have done on the cross in our lives, allow you to transform us and help us to bear fruit, Jesus. That's what we want to do. We don't want to be Christians who show up to church and leave completely unaffected. We want to be Christians who are like a tree who bear fruit year in and year out with whatever we have. Sometimes we might find ourselves in a drought. Sometimes we might find ourselves in rocky soil. And yet, Jesus, we know that with you, we are still able to bear fruit. With you, we are still able to be loving, and kind, and gracious, and patient, and have self-control. God, help us to do that. Help us to bear your fruit. Shine your light here in this dark world. And not be like this fig tree who didn't bear any fruit. God, even when we find ourselves in seasons, maybe where we have been like this fig tree, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. God, would you help us to reflect on that and in doing so, grow deeper in our relationship with you. We love you, God, because you first loved us. It's all because of what you have done for us. 
Help us to give our lives to you. Help us to allow you to transform us, soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have. Jesus, we give our lives to you, and it's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.